Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast. I'm your host Tom and with me is... It's Tim. Hi Tom, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Tim? Very well, very well. It's been a long summer, but I'm happy to be back. Yes, nice to have you here. After the summer, we were just commenting that it's a bit cooler in the studio this time. Yes, uh, a bit bit more um, pleasant, shall we say. So, uh, we've been away for a couple of months. What have you been up to? Well, over the summer, after the World Cup, I recovered. Not from the World Cup, from the Euros. I recovered from the Euros, did a bit of travelling, got back into my working year. Uh, What about you? Uh, yeah, well, I ploughed on. I, by ploughed on, I mean I continued working through the month of August and uh, into September. Now back to normal, but I have to say I've been enjoying the start of the Premier League and I think that should be where we start with our conversation. So that's my first question for you, Tim. I want to ask you, what's impressed you so far about the new Premier League season? Well, I think it's been a really exciting season so far. There's been some good games. Um, but the cream has risen to the top very quickly. It didn't take long, yes. I think I know which clubs you're referring to. Yes, the so-called Big Four. And when we say the cream always rises to the top, it's an expression to say that the quality always separates itself from the best. You can always see the quality. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at the top four of the league table now in England, it's the same top four as it was at the end of last season, and I think it will be the same top four at the end of this season. Uh, We've got City, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool and Manchester United. Um, The team that's impressed me most, and it's hard to say really because they've all got strong points and and weaker points. I'm going to start by talking about City because they are the champions. Uh, Uh, You're talking about Manchester City. Yes, not uh, not Norwich City. Not Lincoln. No, not Lincoln, not Lincoln. (laughs) Um, Yes, um, I I think they've looked really good. They're moving the ball incredibly. and, and then when they get the ball, they dominate. It's impossible to play against uh, City and have as much ball as you want. Um, but the downside of what I'm seeing from City is I think they should have gone all out and bought um, Harry Kane. Because uh, I see they've got Grealish, um, and I'm not sure he contributes anything different. They've got lots of players who can play between the lines. They've got Foden, they've got Sterling, they've got Grealish, they've got Bernardo Silva, they've got uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Can I just clarify, when you say play between the lines, what do you mean? Well, of the players I've just spoken about, none of them are wingers, none of them are strikers. Um, some of them can play in the centre midfield, but essentially they try to look for that space between the attack and the, and the midfield or between the centre and the wide areas of the pitch. And I found that when I've watched City, and I really noticed it in, in the Paris Saint-Germain game, they didn't have the pace up front or the pace on the wings to make uh, to score easy goals. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they need to score the perfect goal. And if things don't go their way, I think there could be games when the defence sits very deep, parks mm-hmm. the bus, as some like to say, mm-hmm. um, and, they, and they might find it difficult to open those teams up. I'd have to agree that they already have so much quality in these kinds of attacking midfield players that whilst I think Grealish is such a Pep Guardiola player, such a Manchester City player, at the same time, yes, perhaps they needed a number 10 or number 9 striker like a Harry Kane or a Romalu Lukaku. Yes, Lukaku, and that takes us kind of on to our next team, Chelsea. Uh, They're in the top four. 
they've really stepped on since Tuchel became the manager. You know, when Tuchel became the manager in, I think it was March, they were 10th in the Premier League under, under Frank Lampard. It really is a damning indictment of what Frank Lampard was doing. And a damning indictment is a strong criticism of what he was doing. It doesn't make his work look very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they won the Champions League and they've started this year very strongly. Uh, Lukaku, uh, we spoke about him in the European Championships over the summer. He's looked a really strong player. He scored goals immediately. He destroyed my team, Arsenal, uh, and that was very painful. But again, questions, the old questions about Lukaku in the Premier League are starting to be asked again. Is he a flat-track bully? A flat-track bully, Tom, is a team, a player that scores against the big teams or against the easy teams? I'm presuming it's the easy teams. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, he, he, he was anonymous against Juventus. And he was anonymous against Manchester City. And a lot of Chelsea fans are starting to get worried. Yes, I don't share the same doubt about Lukaku. I think that every time I've watched him play, he seems to be getting better and better. I believe his time with the Belgian international squad has helped him as well, working with great striking coaches like Thierry Henry and uh, Roberto Martinez is a quality coach. So now he's back at Chelsea, I think that he's a more complete player. I think he could take them to the league title this year. Yeah, I think, I think you could possibly be right, Tom. Obviously, I hope you're wrong uh, <laughs> with my Arsenal bias. And when I say bias, I mean that I, I, I'm subjective towards Arsenal. I like them too much, some might say. Um, yeah, I think the other questions in the Chelsea side are, are Havertz, uh, when he's good, he's good, but there are games that uh, pass him by. And when I say pass him by, I mean he doesn't have enough of an impact in the game. He's sometimes anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the other, the other big teams we should really speak about are Liverpool and Manchester United. Which one would you like to speak about first, Tom? Uh, Liverpool have impressed me. Uh, it was interesting. I remember listening to some studio commentators uh, last season saying that the, the striking attacking partnership... Uh, known as Salah, Firmino and uh, Mane, was getting old, getting stale, that they needed some new fresh blood. Actually, they've proved that, uh, deci- that commentary wrong. I think these players are showing a new lease of life and are up to the old form that they've displayed three or four years ago under Jurgen Klopp. By a new lease of life, you mean they're looking like they're, they've got a, a, another round of energy? Exactly, yes, yes. A, a second round, they, they are as fresh as the first time they came to the Premier League. Yeah, I sometimes have a little siesta in the day to have a, a new lease of life in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are looking good. Um, I think a lot of the criticism they had last season was because they weren't playing well and they were losing games, but that was because of the injuries they had. They lost Virgil van Dijk, they had to play for Fabinho in, in defence, which obviously meant their midfield suffered. And if you look at all they've done, really, is get their strong league-winning players back in the side, back healthy again, and they're playing some incredible football. I think Mohamed Salah is a annually underrated player. I really do think he's up there with Messi, with Ronaldo, with the best players in the world. It's been four or five seasons now where he's been scoring 30 goals or more in the Premier League. The goal he scored against Manchester City, it was the most Messi-like goal I've seen scored by a player who isn't called Messi. Um, It was an incredible goal. Uh, I could watch him all day, actually. Um, And then, you know, when you think about Liverpool, you think about 
a style of play, a high intensity, pressing, direct style of play. And that kind of brings us on to the problem with the final big team we're thinking about, and that's Manchester United. When you think of Manchester United, Tom, under the Ferguson years, you can close your eyes and think how they're playing and you can almost see it. Mm-hmm. But, un- well, not unfortunately. Unfortunately, if you're a Manchester United supporter, I don't see that anymore. What about you? Yes, it's hard to define exactly what style they play with. Uh, most disappointingly was watching them in the final of the Europa League last May and to see how they didn't, I don't know if it was the manager's fault or the player's fault, but they didn't have an understanding of how to use their superior players to get the better of the Villarreal team. But since then, they have made one or two big signings, shall we say. Yeah, big signings. I can't think who you're talking about. (laughs) Um, Oh, it must be Ronaldo and Varane. Um, probably eight European titles between them. Uh, maybe nine, actually, because Ronaldo won one at uh, Manchester United. Yeah, they've made some big signings. But does that contribute to the problem? Do they, are they now in a position where they, have to re- where they rely on, on individual talent uh, mm-hmm. instead of uh, a kind of a tactic or a unified way of playing? Um, it seems to me that they don't have a style of playing and their, their style is give the ball to the big players and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And I think that will work seven times out of ten, but in tight matches, in difficult matches against well-organised defences or against teams with a similar technical quality, I think they're going to be found out. And when I say to be found out, it means people discover your weaknesses. They discover your weakness and they find a way to attack you through your weaknesses. Exactly. Yes. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about some of the surprise packages so far in the Premier League. And those surprise packages, to me, um, have been uh, Brentford and Brighton. Now, Brighton have been in the Premier League for a few years now. They're a properly established Premier League side, which is nice to see because they're a well-run club. And what I mean by that is that they don't uh, they don't have a lot of debt. They try to run their club in a sustainable way. Uh, And they've got a fantastic manager, Graham Potter. I think a lot of people would consider him the most tactically intelligent British manager at the moment. They play some nice football. Uh, What what have you seen when you've been watching them? Yes, uh, surprised, very surprised this season by Brighton because I'm often looking in the summer transfer window and looking at how clubs are strengthening their squads. And Brighton actually have not had it added anyone special. They've not brought in any big signings to their squad, which in the past is normally a warning sign. I, I'm speaking as a West Ham fan. The, the, the seasons when we've not added players to our squad, we've normally been relegated the following season. But Brighton have proved the opposite. They've shown how actually with good management, with players who know each other very well and know exactly how they want to play, they can progress and climb up through the league. I'm not sure they'll stay up for the whole season, but they're looking good for at least a top-half finish. Yeah, I think they've got a quartet of players. And when I say a quartet, it's a word stolen from French. It's a group of four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, Mopé, uh, Trossard, mm-hmm. Lalana, who of course has uh, got fitness again now, mm-hmm. and then the new player, Kukureya. I was sure you were going to say Danny Welbeck. Welbeck, no, no. the Arsenal connection. No, no, unfortunately, no, no, no. My, my bias doesn't go that deep. But um, against, well, Arsenal-Brighton the other day, this Kukureya player, or as the pronunciation on the commentary I watched, 
Cucurella. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he was incredible. He dominated the left hand side. He caused all sorts of problems for the Arsenal defence. Uh, he was really impressive. So I, I think they would they should be looking at a top half or at least a mid table finish. I don't think they're going to have any problems this season. Um, now let's talk about Brentford because both you and I have been stung. By, by Brentford. By stung, like stung like you're stung by a bee or a wasp or a jellyfish. Exactly, yes. yes. It, it hurt me quite a lot. Yes, Arsenal lost, I believe, was it the first game of the season? It was the first game of the season uh, and Brentford deserved the points. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about it. We were outplayed from the first minute to the last minute. And I can say I watched West Ham play against Brentford, Brentford or the, the, the second half of the game and... Brentford were the better team overall. They were winning for most of the game. We equalised after 80 minutes, but then we fell apart again. And I noticed that Brentford were able to exert their control and get the victory ultimately in stoppage time. Uh, for me, I have to say, in defence of West Ham, they'd had a big European game on Thursday night. They won 2-0 at home against Rapid Vienna. And I think the last 10 minutes of that Premier League game was just too much for them. They were exhausted mentally and physically uh, because as much as I love Brentford, I want to say nice things about Brentford, particularly the management, uh, a Danish coach, a Danish management, management team. Uh, I think that this style of management for Brentford is very, very uh, effective. You bring in a manager from a country and you give him control over the signings. This is what happened with Wolverhampton Wanderers as well. The question is, what will happen in a couple of years' time if the Danish manager from Brentford gets taken to a big club? Will they be able to sustain themselves? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult question for a club like Brentford because, um, obviously, if you perform well as a player or as a manager, another club, a bigger club, will come knocking at the door. As happened to uh, Nuno Spirito Santos when he went to Tottenham, and now Wolves have to find a way to survive without that Portuguese foundation in their club. Yeah, I'm not sure I can agree that Tottenham are a bigger club but, uh, <laughs> as an Arsenal fan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know what you're saying. And, and, and it's true, Wolves have looked, uh, looked like they're, they're str struggling a bit at the beginning of this season. Mm. Um, talking about uh, Brentford-West Ham, it was, it was a tricky match, but West Ham haven't started badly, Tom. You must be pretty happy with what you've been seeing so far this season. Yes, I have to say I'm delighted by the Hammers, the Irons. David Moyes' Claret and Blue Army have been doing excellently. We actually started the season unbeaten in our first two games. We scored eight goals in those first two games and we were top of the league, which is something I don't ever remember. I don't have a living memory of ever being top of the league before. Uh, and I'm also delighted with the signings that Moyes has made. Who, who have you brought in this summer? We've strengthened the squad in a lot of depth. So, for example, we brought in the Fulham goalkeeper, Ariola. Uh, we brought in mid, an extra midfielder. He's on loan called Alexander Kral. He's a, another Czech Republic player. That makes three of them now with Suchek and Sufal as well. Uh, we've brought in Vlasic, who is the Croatian striker. He came from Spartak Moscow, sorry, CSKA Moscow as their top scorer last season. Uh, 
and probably some more. We've been strengthening bits and pieces all round. We did lose Jesse Lingard again. He went back to Manchester United, which was a disappointment, especially when he scored the winning goal against us when Manchester United came back. But I'm delighted with generally how the squad is growing, improving, and also our start to the Europa League campaign, where we are unbeaten. We've won our first two games. Declan Rice seems to be a better player now. He's our captain. He's even scoring goals this season, which is probably something he's learnt from being around the England squad. A bit like I was saying how Lukaku improved with the Belgian international team. I see the same with Declan Rice at West Ham. The question I have is, can we sustain two campaigns for the whole season? I mean, the Premier League campaign and the Europa League campaign. This is where we'll see our squad tested and if we have enough quality and strength in depth. Yeah, I mean, you, you've started really well. I've been particularly impressed with Mikel Antonio again. He started the season just like he finished last season. When he moved to a striker, I think whichever manager it was that moved him was genius because mm -hmm. he was a so-so uh, right-hand-sided player. But as a striker, he looks he looks like a poor man's Didier Drogba. <laughs> um, he really is the next best thing to a Lukaku outside mm -hmm. of outside of Lukaku. He's brilliant, mm -hmm. but because you're so dependent on him, I do worry if you get an injury, especially as you say, playing in the Premier League and in Europe. If you get an injury and he defines the way you attack, I do worry that that could be a problem. That's right, yes. Uh, Antonio is essential, so it's fundamental he stays fit. But realistically, he's been suffering muscular injuries to his muscles for most of the last few seasons. So when that happens, we'll have to bring in Vlasic, who's a different kind of striker. And I'm not sure if he'll suit the West Ham way, which at the moment we use players like Fornals and Bowen and Benarama uh, to kind of create quick counter-attacks and pass the ball quickly into the channels. That suits Antonio's game very well. Whether it suits Vlasic's, we'll wait and see. And yeah, I suppose the other thing which is going to be difficult is the, is the juggling um, of, of two competitions. Mm -hmm. And um, this, this Thursday-Monday or Thursday-Sunday routine mm -hmm. is tricky. Uh, it means you do get less rest and also you get a lot of focus on you from the press because you're always on television because you're often the only game played at a certain time. So you can often come under the spotlight um, and that can have an effect on players as well. Is this something you've noticed with Arsenal? Unfortunately, yes. I mean, you know I would prefer not to play Thursday football. Uh, but in the years we've been playing it, I, I've really seen uh, our Monday night games. We haven't got good records uh, on a Monday night, uh, and it's the same. Um, we just felt slightly out of out of synchrony, out of synchronization with the rest of the league, and it, and it it was difficult for us. And I think it's it's not a massive challenge, but it's a minor challenge that over the over the year, even if you lose one or two games because of it, that's a noticeable difference. I believe Arsenal started the season this year, played three, lost three. Bottom of the table, was that yeah. right? Yes, that is right. We, uh, we welcomed Brentford to the Premier League by gifting them a win. Uh, and then there were two games where we were always going to struggle. It was Manchester City and then, um, and then Chelsea. But since then, we've come back with three victories and a draw. Um, and things are starting to look a little bit up. So yes, after the two, the three defeats, we had uh, 
difficult games really against Norwich and Burnley. Difficult because if you lose them, all the eyes are on you. And if you win them, you don't really get much credit. Um, but we won them 1-0. They were difficult games. But then we played Tottenham, uh, which of course is our biggest rival. At the time, Tottenham had won the last three games. They were top of the league. Uh, and we were bottom of the league. So there was a lot of pressure on us. And we totally destroyed them. We were 3-0 up at half-time, playing some of the best football I've seen under Mikel Arteta. We had our new signings playing. They didn't look like they knew what they were doing. They looked like a pub side. Uh, it was fantastic. In fact, Tottenham, after being first after three games and Arsenal being last after three games, well, after six games, Arsenal actually overtook Tottenham. And Tottenham are the first team in Europe to be overtaken by last place team having been first in less than four games. This phrasal verb, is it, or a special verb, overtake or overtaken, what does that mean? To overtake is when you move past somebody. So imagine me and you are running, Tom, and you're in front of me, and then I move in front of you. I overtake you. Mm -hmm. So it can happen in a race, it can happen in a league table. I see. Um, and hopefully we're going to overtake a few more teams because we're 11th and I'd like us to be a bit higher up the league. Yeah, I think you're breathing down our necks because we're only one point ahead of you. You're West one Ham. point yeah. in two places, yeah. The big difference is goal difference. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of our season so far, though, I'm starting to be a bit more positive. I think we made intelligent buys over the summer. We bought a defender. We needed a defender. We bought a right back. We needed a right back. Uh, we brought back in Odegaard. I know he was on loan last season, but we needed him to come back and we got him. And we also brought an interesting young player from Belgium, Sambi Lokonga. Um, and he's played a few times and I think he's got some real potential. I'm, uh, I mean, you, you don't become the best youth prospect at Anderlecht unless you've got something about you. So I'm hoping for a good season. But an Arsenal good season nowadays isn't an Arsenal good season of 10 years ago. Uh, I think we could potentially come fifth or sixth. So you're not predicting that Arsenal will win the league? No, I'm not predicting we're going to win the league, nor Champions League. Even though Manchester United aren't playing very well, I do think they've got the individual quality that will, uh, that will keep them ahead of us. But I look at teams that finished above us last year, like West Ham, like uh, Leicester, like Wolverhampton. Uh, I see no. Uh, I see no reason why we can't. I uh, like Tottenham. I see no reason why we can't overtake them this year mm -hmm. uh, and restore a little bit of pride at least. What about West Ham? Um, what do you think would be a, a realistic position? Do you think they'll finish this season? If West Ham can get to the quarterfinals of the Europa League and finish in the top eight, I think that would be respectable. Any higher in the league or any further in the Europa League, the semi-final or the final, would be a bonus. I'm very realistic with my expectations at the moment, but we can dream, we can hope. In my experience of the Europa League, Tom, I think you'll find that your first semi-difficult match will be the quarter-final. Mm. So if, if you win one semi-difficult match, you'll be in a semi-final. I'd be disappointed if West Ham didn't get to the semi-final. Um, the Europa League hasn't got the quality that the Champions League's got, apart from about seven or eight teams. So I, I don't see why you can't do well. I'm hopeful. Uh, it's nice seeing a team like West Ham in Europe, because mm -hmm. usually my bias mm -hmm. stops me supporting teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, mm -hmm. Tottenham, when they play in Europe. And it's nice to watch another English team in Europe and actually mm -hmm. want them to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
let's get your prediction, Tim. Who's going to win the Premier League this year? Who's going to win the Premier League this year? I am going to look at the first 11s playing on the pitch. I hope for no injuries, and I'm going to say Liverpool. Ooh, OK, OK. I think they've got a strong defence. I think they can score all different types of goals. And I think they've got a defined way of playing. As long as they keep Fabinho, Van Dijk and Salah fit, I think uh, for maybe 30, 33 games of the season, I think they'll do well. What about you? I think this is the season or the year of Chelsea under their incredible German manager, Tuchel. And with the squad they've got, the signings they've made, uh, I think they've got enough strength in depth to win the league just marginally, just a little bit better than Liverpool and, and Manchester City. But any of those teams could beat each other. By those teams, I mean the top three. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. They can all beat each other on their day. But I'm saying Chelsea for the league. I'm saying Manchester City for the Champions League, and Liverpool can have the League Cup this year. OK. Champions League, I think, uh, is difficult to predict. There's any number of teams that could win it. I think Bayern Munich are strong. I think uh, Juventus under Allegri coming back are strong. I think uh, probably, as you said, the three English teams that you mentioned, City, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea could win it. I mean, it's possible United could do it. We've seen crazier things happen. I remember... Chelsea won the Champions League for the first time, finishing fifth in the league. Mm -hmm. So we've seen crazier things happen. Um, in the terms of the League Cup, I don't know. I'm not really that bothered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Arsenal have never won it, I'm not that bothered. Mm -hmm. um, but Tom, I want to bring us on to the last topic we're going to talk about today. And it's an interesting topic because it goes to the heart of the organisation of football internationally. Um, and it's this new idea proposed by FIFA through the, the eyes of, of Arsene Wenger, and that's this idea of having a biannual World Cup. So that would be a World Cup every two years instead of every four years. And in the two years when there isn't a World Cup, you would have a European Championships or in South America, Copa America. Basically, it would mean there would be an international competition every summer. Um, I, this has proven to be very controversial. Lots of people have got strong opinions on it, and I'm interested to know your opinion. If you had asked me this question five or six years ago, I think I would have been in favour of it. However, these days, a bit older, a bit more cynical or jaded, you could say. Uh, now, when I hear about Arsene Wenger's proposal for a World Cup every two years, I'm asking my question, I'm asking the question, Where's the money? Where is the battle for the money happening? And, and for me, this looks like that FIFA, the international footballing organization, want to wrestle some control. They want to take some of the power and take some of the money away from uh, UEFA or the continental football organizations and also from the club competitions such as the Premier League, probably what the, the wealthiest, richest league in the world. So, being cynical as I am now, I see it as people wanting to make more money through football, through more television rights, and I wonder if two years is too frequent. Uh, I think that we need to space out these events, just as you and I took a two-month break after the Euros final to, to 
collect ourselves it's and relax true, a bit. When, when you perform at the highest level, you do need to rest after, mm -hmm. uh, as, we, <laughs> yeah. as we found out. That's right. You know, just like ourselves, the players need it and the fans need it. I think once every four years is right for me. I disagree with Wenger. And even though I think Wenger is a principled man, I wonder if someone is shall we say, influencing him, encouraging him to push this idea forward. Lining his pockets, some might say. Yeah, what do you mean, lining his pockets? Well, to line someone's pockets is to make somebody rich. So mm -hmm. he could, somebody could, they, FIFA could be making him rich so, that, so he supports their idea. Now, look, Tom, I agree with a lot of what you've said, uh, but I do have a slightly different opinion. I agree that this is a battle between UEFA and FIFA for money. I agree that the reasons behind this proposal are probably not honest, ethical reasons, but they are a financial battle. But just in terms of a, a competition every two or every four years, I think I, I originally was a, against this idea, but kind of the opposite to you. I've come round to the idea, meaning I've changed my opinion in favour of the idea. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, I don't see player welfare, player health being a big factor because... The, the proposal doesn't in, involve the players playing more games. It involves them playing fewer friendlies, fewer meaningless or, or very, with very little meaning international qualifiers and confederations, cups and things like that. So it essentially means there would still be the same amount of games, but they would be higher quality games. And, um, and I think that's good. Why should we watch... 50, 60, 70 club games a year that we care about, but at the same time only watch five or fewer international games. Yes, but before we go, I'd like to tell our listeners where they can find us. We're available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify, on Anchor, on Google Podcasts. Just search for Learn English Football Podcast. Uh, I'd also like to say we are going to introduce a review of the week for the review on Apple Podcasts or one of these platforms that makes us smile the most. And we've got our first review today, Tim. I'm going to read it out. It's this. Top-notch chit-chat. Tim and Tom have an outstanding complimentary rapport. I prefer their analysis and wit to the standard fare of the professional pundits. Wow, this student must be C1 or C2. Fantastic English. That one came from Brian48. Thank you very much, Brian48. Yes, Brian, that's brilliant. And for anyone else, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of these other sites. And if you make us smile, we will read out your review on the show. And another exciting development in LeftPod um, is that uh, we've now got the possibility that you can ask us questions. Uh, if you go on to the... It's a Facebook website, web page, sorry, called English Learners Who Love Football. I'll repeat that. English Learners Who Love Football. It's actually a Facebook group. So you just apply to join and we'll let you in. So join the group, English Learners Who Love Football on Facebook. Send us a question. It could be a question about what we've spoken about this week, or it could be a question about something you want us to, to talk about next week. It can be anything that's relevant to the world of football, on the field or off the field. Tim and I are happy to discuss any topic. And as always, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to be back on the air after an extended summer holiday. 
Uh, we'll be weekly bringing you podcasts uh, all about football, helping you learn your English, helping you speak football, most importantly. It'd be really, really, really appreciated if you could tell as many people as you know about us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be back next week. And leave us a liking or a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be lovely. Thanks a lot, Tom. See you next week. And thanks, Tim. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.